You found it, the Japan Web Podcast, blowing hot air to the back end of Tokyo. I'm your co-host, Matt Bigelow. And I'm Tom Molesky. We bring you the inner workings of Japan with an outsider's perspective and zero insight. Zero insight guaranteed, my friends. Guaranteed indeed. We don't actually guarantee it, do we? Well, I mean, we guarantee it, but no actual compensation. Uh, it's anti-pensation. Yeah, it's not like a money-back guarantee. Not at all. Yeah. Yes. So, um, how you been? What's up, dude? Uh, pretty good. Uh, just went back to work for the first time, and uh, it's very... Um, it's a little bit like a sci-fi movie now. Everything's coated in plastic. You have to wear masks. Uh, you you have to have it go through a checklist to go in. Um, people are separated by plastic partitions. There's a requirement you have to wash your hands for 20 seconds before uh, actually entering the area. So it's like Gattaca. A little bit. That's what. Yeah. That. You nailed it, actually. That's the one I was thinking of. I couldn't remember the name. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, um, despite all that, the first thing uh, the person, one of the people I wanted to teach asked to do is take off the mask. So it was interesting. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that. other than that, it went pretty smoothly. Um, then uh, I also had um, the... More on the the real side of things with no plastic partitions. I had uh, the Monday late night uh, indies night um, the at T's Lounge, and that went really well, and everybody really liked it. And um, last night I also uh, did uh, Andrew Holtby's show, um, which was the Music Room Sessions live with um, Koji Tamura and Nature Airliner. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I hosted that and interviewed those guys, so... It go good. Quite fun. It actually went amazingly well. Like um, I got a really good interview out of Koji, especially. Um, I think he opened up about a few things that I don't think he ever talked about before. Mm-hmm. So you'll have to check that out when that video comes out. Cool, man. I've been going yeah. to restaurants. Nice. I went All right. to check out, uh, there's this Indian place I really like. And mm-hmm. um, I like getting their uh, their dal curry and a spicy mutton curry, a big piece of naan bread, and tandoori chicken. Pretty tasty. Sounds amazing. Yeah. With yeah. a sparkling, like, really bright lager. Yeah, actually, um, I always like a cold beer with spicy chili. Uh, chili. There, there you go. That's why. Spicy <laughs> curry. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's delicious. And yesterday it's I amazing. went to a French restaurant, and I had a steak and frites Steak and fries with a carafe of wine in the afternoon. <laughs> that sounds, yeah, oh, day drinking. Yeah. <laughs> it was good, though. It was fun. It was fun. It was really fun. The, how long How long had it been since you've been to a restaurant? Been quite a while, but uh, just kind of getting out there and saying, I want the experience of the restaurant. I don't want delivery. I don't want a bunch of plastic dishes appearing uh, after it's been sitting in some Uber Eats bag for 45 minutes. I want to go to the restaurant. And yesterday I went to a place called O Bacanales, which oh, is wow, kind okay. of um, a, a French uh, cafe brasserie style. It's not too okay. expensive, uh, mm-hmm. but it's not exactly cheap either. But you can get like grilled um, uh, grilled sheep and mutton and all these couscous chicken and all these other things. And it has a real uh, well-used wooden interior with soft lighting and the, the staff are wearing their 
their kind of waiter, their their suit waiter outfits, and there's a mm-hmm. nice um, espresso machines that they got going on in there, and uh, everybody's kind of sitting outside on the on the terrace. Uh, you know, just that classic restaurant experience it was great with my wife. Yeah, that's interesting, actually. Like, uh, uh, Japan, what listeners, what restaurant did you use to break quarantine? Yeah, exactly. I, I broke mine with Burger King. What? <laughs> I had only, I didn't have much time to get to uh, to Infinity uh, Books and in Event Space. By the way, the uh, the place uh, we mentioned before that we were fundraising for, that's where uh, the music room sessions is usually held. So um, just because I only had about 30 minutes uh, in Asakusa, there's a Burger King that I know about. And I was like, ah, you know, I'm going to have that. Tasted surprisingly good, I have to say. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, I, I, because of the time crunch, um, I, that, that's all I had I could do. Have you seen the Black Lives Matter protests in Shibuya? Um, no, I haven't actually. It's kind of weird. I, I, saw <laughs> I was some... wondering, how does this relate to Burger King? But well, okay. we don't need to talk about Burger King for a long time. Uh, the hundreds, hundreds of people gathered in Shibuya okay. to, mm-hmm. to have a Black Lives Matter protest. Um, kind of, I'm not, it's kind of weird in a way because like in Japan, the, the race relations is more about like Asians than, than blacks in, yeah. And so there's all these Japanese and black people there going black lives matter. And, you know, of course it's true. And the, the, the movement, uh, you know, is, is worthwhile and everything. But mm-hmm. I wonder, like, did nobody talked about the Korean Zainichis or like the the, uh, the, the uh, Koreans that came from uh, Jeju Island after World War II? Um, and I just kind of thought that was interesting how uh, how like the how how the protests, the Black Lives Matter protests, follow a very specific pattern wherever they go. Uh, it's like well, it's copy I mean- and pasted out of the internet. Well, I wasn't there, so I don't know. But I mean, you know, there's a, enough people, um, enough, uh, let me say, uh, people of color that reside in here that wanted to show support. And they had enough pe- uh, Japanese supporters to, you know, for the to assist. And they wanted to make their own protests to show the support for the people in the States, perhaps. That's maybe the line of thinking. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, it's kind of, it's so, um, it's, it's so hard to understand exactly like what's Mm -hmm. happening. And so it's, I kind of go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh really? But I'm not sure about, did that happen? I'm not sure. Like there's so much, um, definite. And then there's a whole bunch of other, like, I don't know about that at the same time. Yeah. Hard for me to Um, understand. Well, I mean, we're not there experiencing it. Um, and all the factors leading up to it, um, we didn't experience. And some of the things, some of the uh, indirect factors were much more muted here. Um, but you could say a lot of the states was kind of a pressure cooker with people being locked up, people being, uh, you know, businesses failing, um, people dying at a disproportionate rate um, in some minority um, regions compared to others. You know, you put all those things into like uh, that kind of pressure cooker that's the states anyway, and just one thing will trigger it and set it off where it's just not the case in Japan. 
and all of a sudden it's like there's no such thing as if you're protesting you don't have to worry about social distancing isn't that weird like all well, of these businesses collapsed because of the inability to get customers in and then it's just i read on uh, twitter some woman was saying um i hate the fact that people aren't social distancing but i love the fact that people are protesting injustice love trump's hate <laughs> well i mean one, I think the, one amount of, feeds, the, the amount of malarkey you have to go through just to get into your office building. But if you want to protest, it's just like, okay, whatever. There's no such thing as COVID stops for the protests. True. I mean, but, and they're saying it could be an issue, a real issue, but isn't that also kind of being one thing feeding into another, all these rules, all these, like all these restraints makes more people more edgy and more likely to like explode. Yeah, I think so too. So, I mean, after a while, people are just like, screw that. Fuck that. I don't give a damn. You know, it's like, what? I, I'm not following any rules. I don't want people lecturing me, you know? And it doesn't matter what rule. In some ways, it's just an out an outburst of not following the rules. There, there also might be an interesting correlation between people who are um, pro-business and people who want more welfare. Where, um, where the people okay. that were pro-business were had to um, shut down. If they opened up, they were spreading the disease and killing people. But sure. now if you – now, but you can still protest for more welfare. So there's this interesting vector between people who are owning independent businesses and people yeah. who are trying to um, promote more uh, welfare or, or that type of uh, system, you know? One's kind of closing down the other in a way. When you're saying welfare, what do you mean? Like, like welfare um, payments? or Welfare payments or social programs and things like that. I would say most of the people who are really protesting would be more on the side of um, more, more welfare systems or some sort of uh, money, free money, free stuff. But I don't want to sound like I'm not – I don't want to sound like I'm against that. But I just think for, for, from an observing point of view – it, it seems like the people who were more pro-business were forced to shut down by the people who were more pro-welfare. Well, I think it breaks down a little more to people that say we shouldn't lose one life for the sake of the economy, like to this disease, as opposed to the people who are very pragmatic about their business and their lives. And they're saying, look, we have to face the reality. We, if we don't open our businesses soon, we're going to lose a lot more lives to like, um, you know, uh, not having any way to support, you know, our own daily life, you know? So, there's some people that saying we have to close no matter what. And those people probably don't have, are probably protected. They're probably financially secure. And they said, no, not at all. We shouldn't, um, uh, you know, we shouldn't reopen any businesses. We should follow all the rules. We should social distance. We should mask. And then there's people like, Hey, I have to eat. Yeah. You know, I think it breaks down to that actually a lot more. And then depending on how, the either the the covid or race race relations yeah. um, exists within certain countries mm -hmm. the yeah. the reaction to it will be very different as well so japan reacted really uh, severely to covid as did most of the world but yeah. because um japan's basically a homogenous society 
You can yeah. get some people in a very international area like Shibuya to uh, assemble, but because of the just the the demographics, COVID yeah, yeah. could easily spread in people's minds as a thing to deal with. But something like uh, race relations in a place like Japan, it's not going to really catch on that quickly. Yeah, um, and I don't think there's going to be a lot of people opposing it here. Like you had referred to, um, like, uh, was it Zainichi? Yes, um, the Korean. Korean I, yeah. I, I think there would be more, uh, more negative feedback to that. I think in Japan, they're very happy that, okay, you, you're assembling and protesting for something that's happening in the States. Yeah, go for it. You know, like if it's kind of the injustices within the country, then I think there's going to be more uh, flack for it. In Japan, they're trying to um, attach the the race relation thing to a Turkish guy who was taken out of his car by some Japanese police and roughed up a bit. Yeah, and he got some bruises. And he, I saw a video of some people taking a video of him. He's he's kind of overreacting, I think. Uh, he's oh, going okay. like "tasukete, tasukete," and these Japanese girls are filming him and laughing at him because he just seems yeah. like he's overreacting or something like that. Oh, okay, kind of funny. So they're trying to attach this. Uh, the the mistreatment of this Turkish guy uh, to the um, idea of race relations in Japan. But again, I'm not sure how mm-hmm. much that's going to fly. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not really attached to the, uh, the, uh, the, the mm-hmm. I'm sorry, the Kurdish man. I'm not really attached to the Kurdish community in Japan, you know? So. Sure. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, yeah. And it's, <sighs> Yeah, I don't think it's such a hotbed. I don't think I think people want to enforce the calm as much as they can. They want that overall communal calm. Whereas in the states, I think everyone is ready to start start something. Like everybody wants to put a spark to the gasoline. Yeah. The the only difference is the reason why. Um. So, Mm -hmm. it's yes. What What's interesting is that. The idea of the COVID is still ongoing in Japan. Sure. Right. Yeah. Um, and this is going to tie into Japan Society 5.0. Mm, okay. The fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. Artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things. So that's from the Japanese government and their promotion mm-hmm. for a new society. And they want to use this COVID thing. I have a few different things about it regarding the technology aspects. Um, And this is a clip that I'm going to play um, about using Corona applications on your phone for tracking. Um, This is being rolled out in some other countries. I know that in Mm -hmm. China, they have a system on everybody's phone where it displays a color on your phone. And if the color is green, you can go places. If it's yellow, Mm -hmm. you're restricted. And if it's red, you basically have to stay in place. Nobody knows how this this is being used, but uh, some people say it's based on your registered information. So if you're registered at an address with a family member here, you're green. But if you're in another area, you're yellow. And if you're in another area, you're you're red, you Mm -hmm. can't go. Singapore Mm -hmm. is also using Bluetooth technology in your phones where... If my phone number is attached to my name and I have Corona, people that also come into a certain proximity, the Bluetooth uh, okay. will touch their Bluetooth and leave uh, behind say, a type of coding. 
So that's more of like a big data technology approach. And mm. Japan is also trying to implement a similar thing with their COVID tracking. And here's the clip. Health authorities in Japan are revamping the country's coronavirus data management to take it online. The new system means information about infected patients will no longer be collated by fax. NHK has learned the update will be launched this week. It's aimed at reducing the workload at public health centers. Doctors who identify infected patients will be able to share the information online. Currently, they're required to submit handwritten reports that are then sent by fax. The new system allows health workers to check on patients recuperating at home via a smartphone app. It also keeps track of the number of tests conducted. Health ministry officials say the move online is being trialed in 21 municipalities this week, with a plan to expand nationwide by the end of the month. So that's kind of the idea. We can also think like, okay, a smartphone app might be infringing on my rights, but should doctors in a, in a, in a pandemic crisis that really need real-time data, should they be writing up notes and faxing them to each other? Oh, yeah. No, I get it. I, I see the point of it. Um and uh, yeah, I think it's actually less of an issue in Japan about like individual rights. Well, medical information yeah. is really sensitive in Japan. I know this because yeah. I was working a little bit with um, AI biotech okay. and uh, just mm -hmm. to share information, your personal information in Japan. Like it's, it's tantamount to sedition in a way. Like mm -hmm. people are so sensitive about their personal information in Japan that um, while you might be able to update the technology the perception of the violation of rights might also be riding on the back of that. Oh, okay. All right. Um, yeah. Uh, but, and you can see both arguments for it pretty clearly, of course, you know, you don't want to share personal information and yet, you know, with a, a disease like this that, you know, can spread so insidiously. I don't know if that's the best word for it, Perfect but we're, Thank you. Oh, I, um, yeah, of course, this would be a really powerful tool in fighting it. So here's the idea, though. They can say your data will be safe, but what mm -hmm. if it leaks? Who has yeah. to pay? Who's responsible? Or well, what if what if they say we will only um, provide this data for researchers and doctors? But what if yeah. those doctors or researchers also belong to like an advertising group as well? How, you can streamline the well, information, but you can't streamline the people. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll feel better when the head of some, you know, organization comes up the, and bows and says he's sorry. You know, that should make up for it. Oh, yeah. The Japanese style. Yeah. <laughs> Avoid all punishment by bowing and apologizing. And everyone's like, okay, oh, good enough. Man. I feel like we should just have one representative that's a really skilled fighter and it's like okay after you apologize we're going to just take you into the back room and beat the shit out of you that's not a bad idea the the, the, <laughs> old, the might is right the, the the martial arts expert waiting in the rafters swing down like know. a ninja and punch you in the face yeah i don't know if it's uh it, it would really help anything but i'd feel a lot better i don't know <laughs> well maybe violence is better than fines for these medical criminals <laughs> Uh, yeah, something. <laughs> but something. Uh, a lot of um, Asian countries, you know, South Korea too, are really pushing forward 
smartphone-based app tracking. Now, you're saying mm-hmm. that this virus can spread insidiously, uh, accurately, yeah. but we all know that the most of the deaths of everybody was people who had, you know, multiple conditions, and most of them, like 90% or more, were in their 60s or older. So do we need to have a national rollout of an app mm. for, to track a disease that's not really that deadly or is this disease just being used as the excuse or the incentive where where you have enough people agreeing with the concept that the technology can then be rolled out and implemented well if you were looking at it this is funny like if you looked at it in the most severe areas you could make the argument but then you'd probably also have the most resistant like the resistance if uh if you said new york i cannot imagine like that would be the most justification because of the the amount of deaths, but the most resistant of people uh, about giving their personal information. Whereas in Japan, I could see more people saying, yeah, I could see the point of it, but it actually wouldn't be as necessary. Weapons of mass instruction. Yeah, there you go. Weapons of mass instruction. I also heard it was, um, again, this was, uh, I think, Joe Rogan. It was... Uh, the vitamin D deficiency was a big one. Yeah, so sunlight is a very useful disinfectant. I, I made sure to get a lot of sun when this thing was rampaging. And um, it's kind of interesting because um, one mm. more thing before the, the interview is yeah. the the vitamin uh, D3 and zinc and, of course, the anti-malarial drug hydroxychloroquine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so much information is being said negatively about hydroxychloroquine to prevent it from being taken seriously. It does clean fish tanks out very well. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) There's an element of hydroxychloroquine. Yeah, that woman was arrested for murder, by the way. She probably used the tablets to murder her son. And um, when Trump was talking about uh, light disinfectant, there was actually a, 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 Uh a type of medical device called the heel light. And oh, it's okay. uh, LED that takes the uh, negative rays of, of ultraviolet light out and only provides the um, non-damaging rays of um, ultraviolet light. And you can put that tube down your throat okay. and you can shine oh, wow. the light into the lungs, which would then um, huh. possibly kill uh, some some something bad in there. Yeah, uh, yeah. That group was actually taken down off of YouTube and had their huh. Twitter suspended, even though they are a perfectly registered um, group. Uh-huh. It's really strange. And so I, I was reading Japan Today, and yeah. they had this um, thing that said malaria drug fails to prevent COVID-19 in a rigorous study. Mm. And it, this is it's all framed politically, and it's not really medical information. And just yeah. if you listen to this, a malaria drug President Donald Trump took to try, try to prevent COVID-19 proved ineffective for that in the first large high-quality study to test it in people in close contact with someone with the disease. Results mm. published Wednesday by the New England Journal of Medicine show that hydroxychloroquine was no better than placebo pills at preventing illness. And it kind of goes on and on and on. Um, And then later in the article, in the midway point, halfway through, it said, there are some big caveats to this study. 
This study oh, really? enrolled people through the internet and social media, relying okay. on them to report their own symptoms rather than having them tracked uh. in a formal way by doctors. Participants were not at all tested for the coronavirus, but were diagnosed as COVID-19 cases based on symptoms in many cases, and not all took their medicines as directed. And this was done in Minneapolis, which, as you know, is like a very blue state. So is this sure. just being... And the study was funded mostly by... Um, the founder of Roblox, a California-based game software company. And it's like, so why is this being treated as headline news? Malaria drug fails to prevent COVID-19 in a rigorous study. When I obviously I, the whole thing is horseshit. Yeah, this should, this is a non-story. This is uh, more than any, it just has the buzzwords. So uh, I think it's, um, it's just clickbait, frankly. Um, it, it, I don't know if I'd look into it as somebody's agenda as much as just, uh, we need something new to publish in order to get more views. I don't know. I, I feel I like think, more than I'm anything. It's more nefarious because you have to take hydroxychloroquine with vitamin D3 and zinc. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. To make it effective. Yeah. It's a, it's a trifecta. Uh -huh. I listened to a doctor in New York who treated mm -hmm. a whole bunch of people in his Jewish community with a very high population density. And he said, okay. if you get to it early, get, use the zinc and the hydroxychloroquine with a vitamin D3, something like that, then okay. you can prevent the virus from getting to the point where you need ventilators. And that was his okay. whole thing. And he was smeared as well. The entire treatment is only 12 bucks. I think that has something to do with it. Maybe. Yeah. You never know. And, um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, just, I have this one last thing to play and it kind of connects it together. And this is um, uh, how vaccine companies are getting lots of money to try to find a vaccine for the coronavirus. I'm not anti-vaccine, but I just think that when you give people hundreds of billions of dollars uh, versus a $12 treatment, there might be some special interests at play. That's just the way I think. That's the way I do it. You mm -hmm. can call it conspiratorial in that case, but here's the clip. Okay. Japan's health ministry has laid out a plan designed to shorten the time needed to put coronavirus vaccines into use. It wants to speed up the whole process by simultaneously promoting the research and development of immunizations as well as their production. The health ministry has earmarked about $455 million for subsidies in this fiscal year's proposed second supplementary budget. The funds will be given to institutions involved in the development of vaccines. The ministry has also earmarked about $1.3 billion in the extra budget for mass production. That money will be used to encourage private companies to invest in manufacturing facilities. It normally takes a few years to develop and mass produce a vaccine. Ministry officials have told the governing parties they hope to start inoculating the public against the coronavirus during the first half of next year. So that's to get the Olympics settled and all that, I think. So it's just mm -hmm. kind of interesting how all these things are happening at the same time, you know, and um, if you have a, a billions of dollars, you can easily set up uh, uh, some slush company where people try to make tests that purposely don't work in okay. order to get yeah. billions of dollars. I don't know. That's why I'm going to leave it. Okay. I, I'm thinking also that developing a vaccine is maybe the most standardized and the most accepted. And it might also be just, it's just the established protocol and that that might just be part of the reason they're going through those, those rounds. 
Um, when you say vaccine, people kind of are like, okay, that'll that that will definitely help. If you say uh, just have some orange juice, zinc, and and take this drug, people are a little bit more really. That's it. Like, like th- maybe they're not as accepting of the treatment. That's, I, that's I don't obviously know, but, true. And if you're yeah. um, if you're a part of the because there's two different science uh, medical yeah. communities. There's the sure. medical political community which um, yeah. allocates the funds. And then there's the mm-hmm. practicing community which uses um, the the equipment. And a lot mm-hmm. of the political medical professionals don't really do any medicine on people anymore. Right. They're, they're in the government. They're looking at the studies and they're trying to allocate the funds. And then these other mm-hmm. people are outside of that system. So there's even within those two systems, not a conflict of interest, but it's just a different approach to using uh, medicine. Yeah, no. And I think um, you you raise a really good point that people take advantage of it. They try to milk it as for much as uh, they can. But I think part of that's also because it is the standardized procedure. Yeah. That's all. And you yeah. can use that money to create facilities, which will then yeah. produce other benefits as well with you know, jobs, uh, science funding, um, other solutions for for the medical applications after those uh, systems have been set up due to the allocation mm-hmm. of the money uh, mm-hmm. from granted because of the coronavirus. So anyway, yeah, yeah. Kind of- well, hedge your bets, everyone. Just take vitamin D, zinc, and orange juice until then. <laughs> All right. Well, let's change topics and talk to Mike Merrington, drummer extraordinaire for the Stars. What do you think, Tom? Sounds fantastic. Here we go. And joining us now on the podcast is drummer extraordinaire, drummer for the stars, Mike Merrington. Mike Merrington, thank you for coming on the podcast. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Thanks. Drummer to the stars, indeed. Well, I've seen you uh, drumming for some rather large names, right? Sekai Nolawadi. Mm-hmm. Oh, you've seen you've seen that. You've been to the show. Um, no, I saw. <laughs> <laughs> I think I saw on on uh, social media. Oh man, I thought you were a closet fan all of a sudden. I actually, I didn't know anything about them uh, until you shared a link that I saw, uh, and uh, they were huge. And uh, I told some of my f- Japanese friends that I knew a guy who was playing in the band. But they didn't understand that the Sekai no Wari has like a back band. Yeah, <laughs> they had no idea. So when they when I when I told them that it wasn't one of the 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 mask people up on stage, they were like, "This is a scandal." <laughs> <laughs> I I wish yeah yeah I wish I wish more people would uh, would would think about that. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Anyways, Mike, um, just before we get going here, uh, give us a brief introduction of yourself. Onagaishimas. Oh, okay. Uh, Mike Merrington, uh, drummer extraordinaire, drummer of the stars. Uh, that is not true, but <laughs> I am from Australia, which is a, another funny thing where you don't have an accent and you're from Australia and you say, yeah, I'm from Australia. And the, the Aussies are like, get out of here, Mike. You're not from Australia. <laughs> I can't even do the accent. You speak with more but than you- one vowel. How can this be? Oh uh, man! Right? Oh, yeah. We no, say I grew, I grew up in... but in Australia, it's just I, 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 Yeah. No, I do say tomato. I do say tomato. That's mm. sort of Aussie. That's. And how long that's... have you been in Japan? I've been in Japan since '98, off and on. I was in China for a while, 
playing in uh, theme parks over there and uh, you know just I did a little bit of English teaching after SARS wiped out the music industry over there to get out because you know musicians of course you know some of us are smart and some of us aren't I'm not well, I'm getting smart about money but <laughs> at the time my second daughter my second child my first daughter was born like two months before and and my wife and I were just like oh man we got no money <laughs> we need to get out of here we got no money so I started English teaching and so uh, got out of there and came back to Japan but yeah so since 98 I've been in Japan or China I was in, Ch in China for about three and a half years altogether during that time was it what what time was that that was like 2000 early 2000s yeah yeah well, how was the when music was, when was SARS when was SARS 2000 2000-ish Three, I think. Yeah. Like yeah. What was the music business like back then in China? That's because that's before China opened up. It's before the Olympics. Yeah. Never mind that. What were theme parks in China like? They're huge. They're crazy. <laughs> really They're crazy, man. And well, I was living in Shenzhen, uh, which is right across from Hong Kong. Yeah. And so that's uh, uh, that's a little bit of a different situation where it's a it's partly capitalistic. Like it's free trade was allowed. Like I think at the time, something like huge amount, something 60, 60 percent or 70 percent of the entire wealth was coming in through Shenzhen. Yeah, it was designated a special economic zone. Yeah, that's oh. the word I was looking for. Yeah. Economic zone. Yeah. And uh, it, it went it went it went from like literally dirt roads to completely built up in the time that I was there. It changed so much so quickly. And now they have skyscrapers covered with LED lights that do very <laughs> complex animations in synchronicity. Like That's it, crazy. it's crazy. Like horses galloping across the stars and it's it's being <laughs> operated on like Wi-Fi systems that it's not it's not like illumination. The buildings themselves are lighting up right. with animation. It's crazy. That's insane. It's insane. That's that's uh, in Shenzhen. Yeah. Oh wow, wow. Yeah. If you if you look up, uh, if you YouTube it, Shenzhen uh, LED uh, skyscraper display, you'll you'll your yeah. mind will be blown. It will be. It will be. I can I can imagine it. That's crazy. Yeah, that's something they do very well over there. Is the grandiose? It's mm. it's it's interesting. So in those theme parks, was it actually, were you doing kind of the, the backing musicians for like famous acts coming in or was it no, no, part no, of the, no. the theme park show or something? Yeah, we were, we were playing, uh, at poolside. We had a band, okay. my brothers and I, we had a band there and we were just oh, wow. playing pop rock stuff poolside. And there was a, another Cuban band for girls and in bikinis and we'd go back and forth. It was, it was good. A lot of eye candy. <laughs> sounds sounds amazing. Um, was it uh, was that uh, you were making a living just off that though? Yeah, that oh, and nice. you know playing the playing the local music circuit and sitting in with at that time there was some really good bands that were over from the states that were playing in the hotels. Oh. They were they were going back and forth from Macau, and so like there was this one band that I was sitting in with that was really fun. Like the keyboardist and the backup singer were like Ricky Martin's band before oh, wow. and, you know it was really a lot of high level musicians were coming through at that time so that was that was actually my before that i was totally rock like i, I wanted mm -hmm. to be mike portnoy you know i was dream theater mm -hmm. my brothers and i we started off doing a dream theater cover band in china wow <laughs> which didn't go didn't go over well <laughs> so is this when you developed some business acumen 
Well, I don't know about business, but like, you know, learning how to read the room, you know, after yeah. you're finished like Dance of Eternity and you're just like so stoked and somebody comes up and says, that was nice. Do you play any Carpenters? <laughs> <laughs> and I realized I wasn't going to make any money being a rock musician. So, yeah. Well, I feel like your introduction should start with I played in a, a dream theater cover band in China. Like that, that, that makes my ears <laughs> perk up, you know. That's, uh, that's pretty good. I sh- I'll, I'll remember that. I'll lead with that next time. <laughs> that Hi, is a I'm conversation. Mike I'm Mike Marrington and I started off in the dream theater cover band in Shenzhen, China. Yeah. I'm in. I'm in. First time. Yeah, Tell I'm me in. more. Yeah, please. <laughs> he was just a man. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you're a full-time drummer. That's kind of your gig, right? Well, yeah. I mean, to the, to the, to the best of my ability. Uh, but, you know, three kids and uh, you, you got to kind of do it all. I, I do producing. Um, I've done producing for game music, uh, game game uh, soundtracks. I've done, I, you know, I go around and I do the singing for commercials and uh, I sing in hotels. I play in hotels. I Not so much anymore, but I've had my times there. Yeah, you got to do more than like just drumming definitely won't pay the bills. I'm not that good. You have to have a lot of skill sets. Um, I think so. And when did you go full time? Yeah, I was I was here and I had my own studio and I was doing online uh, drum sessions uh, and I was doing producing. And then the earthquake happened, the tsunami and the earthquake. In 2011? Yeah. March 11th. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I, it was kind of a, a wake up call to me. I was I, I, I remember specifically thinking like we went up to Tohoku uh, with a band I was playing with at the time to go sing at the, at the shelters, uh, like within the, within the first couple of weeks after it happened. So that was pretty intense. And, you know, you seeing firsthand all of that destruction and everything. I was just like, man, okay. Were people there ready to have entertainment after such a natural They were very, it wasn't entertainment. Uh, The band I was playing with was, we, I guess we, we called it healing music. So it was a lot of, you know, it was, it was, it was, like sweet music stuff that sort of would hopefully uh, calm people down and make them, you know, make them feel nice. Uh, and so, you know, like a lot of folky stuff and we did a lot of Japanese covers that would sort of uh, strum the heartstrings mm. yeah. <laughs> of those people and people just weeping, you know, it was, it was so very it was emotionally intense. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, as well as that, I'm sure just the visuals of it, just having these white people coming in <laughs> just out of nowhere <laughs> into the into these shelters and speaking in Japanese to them was also probably pretty mind blowing, I imagine. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Um, so anyway, during that time, I just I just saw so many people dying, you know, people had died and just lives to change so much. And, and I kind of thought, OK, what do I actually want to do with my life? I don't actually want to be, you know, doing this and that. I want to be playing music in front of big audiences, which has always had been my dream. But, you know, it's, it's one of those it's almost like when kids say I want to be an astronaut. Yeah. I think, yeah. You know, I want to be a touring musician. I want to play, you know, I want to play the domes. I want to play, you know, big places. And, you know, everyone's going to be like, yeah, good luck with that. But it worked. It worked. And within a year of, of deciding that, I I, uh, I was lucky enough to get asked to play with SMAP after their band. They, they had a change of band. And I was working with uh, an agent and she got a call to put together to put together a band for them. And she asked me if I wanted to do it. 
What was so that, that like? was? Oh man, I remember. I remember very specific. Like I, I never. I've been playing music since I was a kid, but I've you know I've never played in big big places before that. Because Smack is one of the uh, biggest pop bands ever in Japanese history. In in Japanese history, yes, I would have to say. And so, just our first gig being Tokyo Dome or whichever dome. I can't remember which one it was, but I just remember being on the train going to the Shinkansen early in the morning. I was just like, "Is this actually happening?" You know, you're letting me in. Are you sure? Yeah. Am I? Am I? There's definitely a mistake here. (laughs) Yeah, that was that was pretty mind blowing. What is it like to experience? I mean, again, of course, you know, the the front men are the main attraction, but just to be in front of, you know, tens of thousands, maybe with SMAP, maybe hundreds of thousands of people. What is that experience? Uh, Is there any way you could, I I can't even imagine the feeling of it. Well, the first couple of times was overwhelming and, you know, the the nerves are there and I was just so excited and was just like, yeah, all right, we're doing this. And then it was amazing how quickly it became very commonplace. Really? <laughs> like, yeah, within within the, the first, I'm going to say five shows, it went from, oh my God, my life streams, you know, they've, they've all come together. And, and then it's like, oh yeah, sort of clocking in, going to work and doing your thing. Of course, you're doing your best and you're, you want to rock the show, but it it became the same as playing basically the same with with a same as playing a small room just with a lot more writing on it like if you if you made a mistake <laughs> that many more people are affected <laughs> was it a bit of it also like i don't know like not a relief but i mean the, the attention is not necessarily on you even though you get kind Absolutely. of the benefit yeah yeah of- that's the thing that's the thing i've never experienced like i've played most of the biggest places in uh, in Japan mm-hmm. and uh but I've never played it with my like with my band I so see, where yeah. that's that's a totally different thing when you know that these people are all coming to see you I I, I can I I can't imagine I don't necessarily want that but that is the difference between getting up on stage as a sideman and getting on stage as as the the person that people are like okay we love your music Whereas it is, it is a job. And at the end of the day, you, you get up on stage and you need to make the, uh, the artist look good. So what would be an ideal show for your band? Hmm. Well, what, I would, what is I, your band, I, Mike, before answering that? Yeah. Oh, I, I've got a few bands. I guess the band that is the most mine is, is Shamans because I've been with them you know, and it's sort of, I'm, I'm the drummer for that band. Like I can't, I can't sub out <laughs> from that band so much. The, the Most of the other bands I play with is, you know, you're just playing with, with some guys and it's, it's good. But yeah, Shamans would be and the band that's. Answering Tom's question, what would be the ideal uh, show or live venue for you guys? For that, I'm, I'm, I like, I like to, I like one to 3000 people halls. That's, that's as big as it can get in my experience where it still has a very human element to it, where the their people are close enough to, to, to the stage where they can get the, not just the energy that's coming from the speakers, but actually be able to be drawn into the, uh, into the stage bigger than that. It seems a little bit gets lost. You have to produce it pretty heavily for it to have that impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas with, with shamans, it's, it's very much, uh, it's very much hands-on, you know, mm-hmm. 
Interesting. So um, how about just going back to the big acts you've played with when you actually leading up to the show, how much interaction, let, let's say the day of, do you have with those artists? With the artists? Um, it depends. Uh with with SMAP, we didn't have any interaction with them. Yeah, I kind of figured that for some reason. But yeah, Sekanowadi in the beginning it was smaller, and we had a lot more interaction with the artists. And over the years, that uh, Merlin Kelly is the bassist that plays uh, with me on that, and where ah, the two yeah. where the two backing band members. That's the only backing. Uh, we have a string section, a quartet, sometimes mm -hmm. some of the tours, and one of the tours we had a full a full orchestra. It was like a twenty something piece uh deal we had mm -hmm. you know classical percussionists we had the woodwind section we had the you know the the whole thing it was pretty intense but yeah the as far as the 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 main guys that are always there it's me and merlin, merlin why do you Kelly. think they chose um you as a as a gaijin instead of a japanese drummer because certainly there's enough there are there there are definitely so enough, does that ever and, enter your mind like what's happening well it i i know that they in particular want to break into uh the world scene more than being just in japan and uh from the beginning they wanted uh, uh the foreign feel i guess that's what they wanted because it definitely wasn't the look i you know there's there's a lot of in japan as you know there's a lot of uh casting you know we want this look to go with this you know so they'll they'll pick people solely because of how they look yeah like japan there are no auditions very on right the nose when it comes to marketing and imaging yeah, there's no auditions. It's like it's like, can you send in your pictures and your send in your picture and your size? Like, how big are you? How how what's your waist size? Oxidous. And that's it. Well, not even that. <laughs> <laughs> they know. <laughs> <laughs> that's not even a question anymore, right? <laughs> that is the picture I send in. What are you talking about? <laughs> you don't even dress it up with like a little hat or something. <laughs> I use a Come filter, on, but that's be, about be it. Be classy. Be classy. Oh, <laughs> no, just put a bow tie on it or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you're one of those guys that does the airdrop <laughs> in the train. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that is insane. For everybody. That's what. That's when I realized that you know, just the world is moving at such a fast. The, the technology is moving at such a fast pace. I mean, I knew it before, but then when I heard about that. You know, where people are airdropping dick pics as, a, as opposed to just like flashing people on the train. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it, actually, regarding the technology, I, I noticed that one of the Sekai no Awari shows, I'm not sure if you played it, but they had an, an, a massive Wi-Fi system set up where everybody's phones or some sort of lighting system would oh, go yeah. off. Like, it's not phones. It's a, it's a, it's a wristband that yeah. they have. So, and that is, is yeah. Regarding like, is there for a younger audience than myself? I'm 39 mm -hmm. years old, correct? Like, so Sekai Wari. Are you? No, yeah. Sekai no Wari is. I thought you were older. <laughs> thanks, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm my, 41. So, my I'm 41. photo does make me look a lot older than I really am. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the audience, the audience is uh, younger for them. So, have you noticed that younger people want the technology with the music more so than maybe people in their 30s or 40s? For sure, for sure. The people is in the people, at least in Japan, the people in their thirties and forties, they want, they're happy with their, with their fan, you know, the fan that they have with the, everybody gets their fan with uh, the guys 
face on it and they'll you know wave the fan around and they have their thing that everybody wants to do something together so i guess the young people younger people they definitely want something technological that's like amazing oh that's so cool and it is really amazing like you you look because it's synchronized uh like we have they have this song called the starlight parade where the all the things go off and it's kind of like you not it's not horses running you know across a starlit backdrop but it's kind of like that where you're you're playing in a stadium or a dome and the whole thing is lighting up synchronized it's pretty it's pretty amazing to look at and it's like 15,000 20,000 people right uh yeah up to up to up to 60,000 i think the biggest dome is like 60 something have you seen that 60,000 people with their wi-fi wristbands going off in synchronicity yeah yeah it's pretty cool what type of patterns does it make um, no, nothing, nothing like, nothing like artistic. It's, oh, it's just, just flashing. It's, just, it's flashing patterns and, and different colors because it's led. So the, each wristband has it, you know, a, a couple of colors that it can do. And it's, and it's evolved, uh, over the time that I've been playing with them in the beginning it was simple. And then later on, it got more complicated. They have a, they have a whole, a whole three or four man team that's dedicated to that completely. Crazy. So. Yeah, yeah, that's fun. That's definitely mm-hmm. one of the fun things. You sort of sit back as you're playing and like, oh, that's nice. I think with technology, there's a cutoff age. It's like when there's a power ballad on, do you hold up your phone or do you hold up a lighter? And that's right. <laughs> and then there's yeah. the uh, then there's the crossover generation. They'll yeah. hold up their phone with a lighter on the phone. <laughs> you oh, <know>? yeah. <laughs> Remember Just, that when the yeah. when when iPhones first came out, there was a lighter and and it and the flame moved when you moved it. Yeah. <laughs> Just like the first one. That's when I take out my actual lighter and start burning phones. Yeah, I was going to say, just to fit in, I set my phone on fire and hold it up. (laughs) Oh, man. I don't understand. (laughs) Truly, yeah. Truly clueless in many generational ways. Yeah. So, um, I wanted to ask you also, just because um, we have uh, musicians in natural disasters tend not to mix very well. Um, in the last two months, um, how have you been affected by this whole pandemic situation? I've been doing a lot of drinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, overnight, overnight, uh, all the tours have were canceled. I mean, right, yeah. every, everybody's in the same boat, uh, you know, reading everybody in the States and and everybody, all, all the musicians that I know all over the world, all the tours have been canceled. So it's not surprising. And I'm, and I'm definitely not sitting here crying and saying, oh, my, my lot is so bad in life because my, my tours got canceled. But it was it was a very big shock over, you know, as when every time they would add the emergency level, literally within a couple of hours, the next month, I would get a call in the next month. It wasn't everything at once. It was just like, you know, the, the tours up till June were canceled. And then a couple of weeks later, they would say something else on the news. And then a couple hours later, I'd get a call from the agency. Yeah, they're canceling August and they're canceling this. So so now, and yeah, it's come to everything this year has been canceled. Oh, so wow. Interesting. It's the first time that I've had nothing. Wow. I, absolutely. It's the first time I've had nothing in like... I can't remember when, like since I was like 18, it's, it was crazy. And it's, and uh, you use the word cathartic. It's actually been really nice. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. You no, know, having, having, I mean, it's not nice for the, for the pocketbook, but it's, sure. it's nice too, because uh, I don't know, as a musician, you're, I'm self-employed. So I'm always chasing gigs, 
right? You're always you're always on somebody else's schedule. You got to hustle, it's, right? It's a long way. Yeah, exactly. You want to rock and roll. Exactly. You got to be totally available. And if somebody says, "Oh, we got this gig or we got this tour," you got to make it happen. Otherwise, you're obsolete immediately. They'll go on to the next guy. Like nobody cares if you got a kid coming. I'm sorry, I can't make it because I've got a my 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 son is being born. My daughter's being born. They're like, yeah, well, we got a gig, so yeah, next, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So you kind of in that mindset for years and years and years, and all of a sudden that's all gone, and and you're like, oh. I have my own time. You know, this is actually, I can do all the things that I always wanted to do. And then two months later, you've finished like X amount cases of wine. And you're like, yeah, I didn't actually do anything that I said yeah, I was yeah. going to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, gain the, the plus, the 10 plus Corona pounds. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. COVID-19 kilos. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. No, seriously. I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I'm starting to come down now, but like I was, I was above, I was like 11, 12 kilos in the last three months that I gained. That's awesome. Like, and I was just yeah. like, I was just like, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> it, it is kind of hard to do a lot of things when everything is shut down anyways. It, it's also a weird time. It's like, Hey, everything is shut down because of this horrible pandemic. I'm going to really yeah. use this to learn something. Like we have no idea what's going to happen or anything. It's, yeah, it's true. It's that's a exactly weird way to think, ah, what a great time for education. You know? Well, that's what I thought. The first three weeks I got very into it and I was like, yeah, I was exercising every day. I was like, I was practicing so much and my drumming was getting so much better. And then, and then as the gigs just started being canceled, it was just like, what am I doing this for? Yeah. You know, it was kind of a weird thing. Things are being taken away, not added to. Yeah. And also there's just so much that you don't know. It's not just about the gigs right now, but after this, the whole game has changed. Like right, yeah. we're not, I don't see it coming back the way, even the way it was but last year. That's what which I was going to me ask, was already yeah, like going. It was already sort of on the way down. Forward, you know, what's, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's no secret, right, that the music industry has been changing so much, even just in the last few years. Yeah. But like, if if you talk to the people that were here in the '90s, you talk to the people that were here in the '80s, and they're just like, yeah. Then you hear their stories. It's 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 already just a very pale pale comparison to what it used to be. And so then you have this. Kind of stuck in that 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 eighties nineties mentality, where all you need is a smoke machine and a couple of lights and a big (laughs) big Marshall amp, and like that's that's all you need. But then you get into the technology you're talking about of sixty thousand wristbands going off. You kind of you're looking at things going, yeah, this shit's changing, man. This is different. Yeah, but it's not even that. It's like like in Japan, if you're going to play a live house, they want you to pay up, you know, they want you to pay up front or just you have to guarantee you're going to have X amount of people, which is fine back in the day when tons of people would go out to live shows. Nowadays, you're like forcing your that's why I never do. I, I don't have my own bands generally oh. for that reason. Mm-hmm. I can't I just can't stand, you know calling up my friends and my family members and oh, I got a gig, you know, yeah. can you please come mm-hmm. to my gig? Uh, it's tough. Everyone's yeah. busy. Everyone's busy. Everyone's got, you know, there's, there's so many musicians playing those gigs. I don't want to be that other person, no matter how awesome I might feel that my music is or my drumming is. Mm. You know. Drummer for I the don't want to be that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Which has been fun. It's been fun. And I'm not sure how long it will continue. But yeah, going back to the, the, the industry, like has it, has it, uh, obviously, Matt, I know you play. Um but it has do you do you feel how do you feel like the stuff that you were doing before this happened i I'd, I'd actually taken a step uh 
back for a while, and I'd been focusing on recording and, and studying um, audio production rather than oh, playing cool. or practicing, which has been great. But um, the last active band I was in was the Klezmer band, the Dead Sea Dropouts. Great and band. We Thank you. And we just we kind of went a step back. We started playing more acoustic cafes with a donation model, a hat model. And that okay. was working for us. Because um, I'm kind of looking at the technology and the, the speed of change and, and the people and how um, it's gone from the lighter to the smartphone um, light. But beyond mm-hmm. that, it's gone to people Instagramming themselves at live shows. So the audience yeah. member is now also uh, a, a producer of content. And uh, yeah. so looking forward, I, I, I like the idea of, of, of niche, of niche, of niche markets, of mm-hmm. um, scaled back. And, uh, but that's where I stand. Um, I, I'm not sure how, how the idea of going out to live music is going to look moving forward. It's very misty and opaque and I'm not sure is, I understand sure. exactly what's going to happen or if the backing is going to be there for the um f- for, for for people to organize in, in masses of up to 60,000 people. Yeah. Yeah. I I I definitely feel the same way as you. Yeah. It's interesting. And so uh, like you I'm also uh, looking towards scaling back that side of of music. I'm sure I'm going to be involved in music but I don't know how much of that I'm going to try for. I, I just don't know how viable it is going forward just for me. Yeah. Well, one of our other guests actually was talking a lot about during this time um, using like Switch or something for live streaming concerts mm-hmm. with um, with uh, donations. Mm-hmm. Um, have you looked at that at all or have you considered I, I that? I haven't personally, but I, I do have friends that, that have done that and it's been quite good. I think, yeah, so I guess, Matt, like you going into looking, uh, that's probably the the thing that people should be investing in is, is learning how to produce themselves and, and the audio production side of it, because, you know, as everybody starts doing that, the, the switch things or the zoom things, or, you know, the, the YouTube lives, the thing that's going to make you stand out is your sound quality now, yeah, isn't it? I agree. It's not even how good you play because, you know, you get a, a great sounding band that's great energy on stage and it sounds like garbage. It, it doesn't matter in the recording. So that's exactly what I was thinking. I was uh, the whole um, live music show thing is opaque, but uh, having a, a well lit studio with a gigabyte mm-hmm. gigabit fiber connection with a mm-hmm. with a donation model, like Tom was saying, that aligns itself in for like an escape route for musicians Absolutely. who still want to make some dosh on the side, or or who knows how much they can make with this model. Yeah, and that's uh, that's where I guess. Um, Japan is, is is sort of handicapped because of of sound problems. Like it's hard to, it's you got to spend a lot of money on a studio, you know. That's 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 soundproof. Although we do have Noah Studios and all of that. That's that's you know that's pretty cheap. Yeah, those use. rental studios are good, but getting the um getting the high speed internet connection, it can't be Wi Fi. It has right. to be right. uh, through a wire. But if you can manage, mm. if if the rental studios can kind of transform themselves into performance yeah. studios and even design their own donation model, then then it would instead of all of the money being taken up by Google, it would be recirculated into um, a localized community. That is really good. Yeah, that is definitely cool. I hope they get onto it because 
I mean, already I'm I'm very like one of the things about Japan is the uh, the rehearsal studios. They're they're great. They're better than the live shows. <laughs> <laughs> they always are. <laughs> they're incredibly well maintained. The drum sets yeah. are always beautifully arranged yes. and and mm -hmm. shiny and sounding great. You know, and the, the you know the heads are changed regularly. The symbols, if they're cracked, they're taken out. Yeah, it's it's great. It's super good. I went back every time I go back to Australia. I go usually go back like once a year, and and I was trying to practice when I was there. And it's just crazy. You have to, there is no such thing as that there. You have to, they have studio spaces that you can rent, but there's no equipment. And that's totally understandable because they're, everyone's going to get drunk and trash the place. Yeah. They, you know, <laughs> so, so I guess, me you know, a free the drum set. All right. Yeah. You. Sweet. Nice. I'm going to load it into my ute and yeah. <laughs> see you later. <laughs> but yeah, that's, I guess the, the culture of Japan lends itself to, you know, everyone's going to follow the rules and they're not going to be too crazy in there. So that's, that's, that's really awesome about definitely about Japan. Maybe that's a good uh, business to be following, kind of changing just the musician studios to production studios already mm -hmm. set up for, for live streaming or something like that. So for an or somebody just to consult to produce that side of it for a little bit extra might be a real that's definitely true business yeah that's definitely true and i said switch i meant twitch i'm i'm actually twitch. one of the guys who holds the lighters up i'm not a i'm not a <laughs> i'm that generation so that's uh, yeah i don't i don't actually know what twitch is i've i see a lot of like this 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 on twitch i was actually going to get into it the day before yesterday and actually look it out because i was look it up because i was asking my kids it's like what's twitch and they're like i don't know <laughs> oh. twitch started out as a gaming platform for people right. to live oh, is that right? games and then it turned okay. into donation models and uh, now other people are getting in on it as well. Nice, nice. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, Tom, anything else? Um, that's about all I had covered. It was fascinating insights, actually. Uh, thanks so much for this. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, Mike, fun. We, we don't guarantee insight. That's just no. Tom and I. But if the guest yes. has some insight, we let that slide. Yeah. We look the other way. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. And if you could edit edit any of those things together to make them like seem like insight, that would work really well. Oh, uh, I'll do my best with my editing skills that I'm developing in this COVID portion crisis. Oh. Yeah, I actually thought that your web, that this uh, this podcast was going on for longer. My wife told me the other day that, that it, you, you started just last December started last December. Yeah. I had another podcast nice. before this. Um, that was just, okay. Me. That's why. And then I had another thing that I was doing as well, but, uh, I wanted to get, uh, I wanted to co-host with somebody and Tom and I decided to, to put this together and it's been great so far. Very cool. Very cool. Mike, where can people find you and, and, uh, set up the song that we're going to play that you sent me. Okay. Okay. Can we go with the second song? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, it's uh, so this is uh, Shaman's. Uh, we went out to record um, a new album, and this is the first two. Uh, this is these that I sent you, the first two that are being released. The one, one of them has already been released, and the one we're going to play is called Lost Pirates. And this will be released on the 24th of this month. So this is a sneak preview. Nice. How nice. Yeah, yeah and uh, it's uh yeah it's it's nice and uh, i think actually it's 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 perfect for what we were talking about uh you can find mike i have mike marrington at weebly.com that's my website uh mike marrington on youtube and of course mike marrington on facebook 
Yeah, that's that's All good. Right. And people listening. And that's Merrington with uh, two R's. So yes, M-A-R-R-I-N-G-T-O-N. We'll make sure those uh, things are included in the show notes. Just send them over to me and we'll, we'll, we'll Sweet. slip them in there. Thank you. Slip nice. them in there like an airdrop photo. Mike Merrington. Yeah, I was going to I was going to go with that as well. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being on the podcast, man. Let's get Thank together you so have a drink sometime soon. Yeah, that'll be fun. All, All right. right, guys. Peace, Peace out. out. Take care. Donate to the Japan What podcast by going to paypal.me forward slash Japan WUT.
Very nice, yeah. Lost Pirates by Shamans with uh, Mike Marrington on drums there. That's some clean sound, man. It sounds good. That's a throwback to a sound actually I really like. Me too. Um, yeah. I can dig that, like uh, especially a hot summer day, maybe a, a drink in hand just in watching the sunset or something. Yeah, and just enjoying um, tone. Yeah, so yeah. It's just full of tone. Yeah, it was Mike really, has this really cool mm-hmm. drum technique where he uses the tom mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to accent a phrase, and it's not really a fill; it's like a, ah, it's okay. a hit. Uh, he does it really well because it, it emphasizes, but it's not like a cymbal splash. So it, yeah, it yeah. emphasizes with with like a thump. Yeah, but it doesn't take away from the other notes that sometimes uh, cymbal crashes can do. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of nuance to that actually, and it's uh, and I didn't recognize it, but you explaining it now, I'm like, oh yeah, I did notice that. Interesting. Mm. Cool. This show also uses a tom. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I I couldn't resist. Dad joke. And I'm sitting on a mat. Yeah. (laughs) All right. right, So thanks, uh, thanks for that. Um, So you wanted to talk about the Olympics. Yeah, actually, um, I came across an article in the Japan Times, and it seems still a bit speculative, but um, the future of the 2021 Olympics might be in doubt. So uh, the article goes here. First, some glum news. John Coates, head of the International Olympic Committee's uh, Coordination Commission, was quoted in the Australian on May 21st as expressing doubt over prospects for the Tokyo Olympics to be held in summer next year. Coates went on record on saying uh, the decision on whether or not to proceed with the games in 2021 was likely to be made by October. Meanwhile, a weekly magazine Friday dropped another bombshell claiming to have obtained a copy of a report by an unnamed major travel agency that states the decision has already been made to cancel next year's games. The report concluded that the national Olympic organizations have neither the time nor the resources to conduct the trials for athletes to represent the respective countries. Nations will be giving priority to budgetary concerns. Moreover, even if a vaccine for COVID-19 is developed, it's unlikely it can be made available in quantities that will enable worldwide distribution. Finally, the contagion is just beginning to hit developing nations in Africa and Latin America, and efforts to bring it under control are likely to be drawn out. In another major blow to next year's plans, major U.S. corporations such as United Airlines are expected to plead poverty and withdraw pledges of sponsorship for the games. U.S.-based journalist uh, Hiromo Ibuki tells the magazine they see little value in sponsoring in terms of business or publicity. Their hone, true feeling, is hoping the games will be canceled. 
Again, a lot of speculation, but they do bring up some points there um, that um, make sense economically. Um, you know, the spread of COVID-19 is not it is is just kind of hitting in waves to certain uh, certain continents. And while they're worrying about keeping that under control, they might not have the time or the resources to invest in sending people to the Olympics. Makes sense. I, I also recently read that um, there might yeah. be simplified Olympics. So a lot of these things might get canceled. Yeah. I, I wonder if it's is it does it make sense to to put it off a second year or is that already so. it's, yeah it's impossible some good yeah. news about the olympics though yeah shuttlers to keep tokyo olympic badminton ranking points earned before shutdown oh well that's a relief i know i read about that and i was like oh finally i was really worried about the badmintoners you know the shuttlers as they're called i've been combing the headlines Look at what about the shuttlers? <laughs> the shuttlers. This is the only podcast that really takes the shuttlers into consideration. Yes. But, Badminton uh, fans. Yeah, we might notes. be seeing a lot less um, events and, and everything like that. It, it's not just about music, eh? It's, it's really... No, not at all. Yeah. Anything large scale is now threatened. Yeah, yeah. Any uh, people get any large collections of people, really any event like that uh, apparently except uh, protests <laughs> except protests. you can protest in large scale it yeah. goes to that thing of welfare versus markets that i'm noticing yeah yeah i forgot out. to mention earlier that i was on the anything goes hokkaido podcast as a guest and i got to mention you in our in our podcast there it's oh, fantastic. Uh, run by a, kind of a famous actress uh, delania miyazaki i believe her name is and I, oh. they had the the nice, uh, gracious patience to let me ramble on about what I like to talk about on the Anything Goes Hokkaido podcast. Anything Goes. So uh, just the most recent episode? Yep, yep, yep. If you look up Anything Goes Hokkaido podcast, and I think it's like Klezmer Musician and Matt Bigelow, something like that. Oh, okay. Awesome. Anyways. Spreading the word. Mm. Um. Yeah, so who knows? So do you want to finish off with the stupid Gaijin of the week? Oh, I also forgot to mention my blog. I wrote a blog and it got some oh, good okay. attention and people Excellent. can go to my, I'm going to try to do it weekly and that's at mm -hmm. matthewpmbigelow.com. PM means Peter Barton. That's my name. Matthewpmbigelow.com. You can click on blog there and it, it looks at um, what's going on, but in a unique way, more like an analytical way, not a reactionary way. So if you're interested in that, you can check out my blog there. That's PM Peter Martin, not prime minister. Yes, Matthew for Prime Minister Bigelow. The world would be a better place. We all agree on that. All right, let's do it. SGOTW. Um, I I don't have an article for. Really? Um, Stupid Gajam of the week. Stupid Gajam SGOTW. Man held for free train ride halfway across Japan for a virus cash handout. A Filipino man has been arrested for allegedly taking a free ride on a bullet train halfway across the country in hopes of getting the government's 100,000 yen corona cash handout. The man, Chris Noel Makalalalad Elisio, 35, was arrested Thursday after he set off an alarm as he tried to pass through a ticket gate without a ticket at Hakata Station at Fukuoka Prefecture. He is suspected of traveling from Tokyo Station to Hakata Station, a distance of over 1,100 kilometers, without paying the 22,000 yen fine fee. 
Elizio, described by police as unemployed and of no fixed residence, has told investigators he was trying to go to Nagasaki, where he used to work, as he thought he could receive 100,000 yen, or roughly $1,000, a handout from the local government there. Okay, I feel like a lot of people dropped the ball on this one. Um, I thought they checked tickets on the... In fact, uh, what is it? You you have your light. Uh, maybe he skipped seats and he was just taking uh, other people's reserve seats. But don't they, in the Shinkansen, there's usually a light above you that says whether or not you've uh, you've had your ticket checked. There's the non-reserved car. Um, yeah, but you still have to actually... Uh, I guess it's I, they still can have it by ticket, but usually what it is is you have your pass and that it, there's a red or green light above you. Maybe he just went to the toilet every time he saw. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's probably it. And people aren't usually expecting that as much. People don't try and skip out and paying. So, yeah, I could see that too. I'm actually kind of surprised he was caught. Yeah, and I'm I mean, so, I'm surprised that he thinks that he could just show up where he used to work and get a thousand dollars. That's what yeah. makes him the stupid gaijin of the week. That's There's a lot of miscommunication. How the world works. Yeah, I know, right? Um, <laughs> just like, oh, well, we haven't seen you in a while, but here, here's a thousand dollars. Bye. <laughs> How's the family doing? I oh, hope you're doing well. Enjoy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so that is of... the SG. OTW. Yes, I think he uh, he lived up to the title, the weekly title. Stupid Gajam of the week. Stupid Gajam SGOTW. All right, uh, uh, that's that's it from me. That's been a it's been a pretty full week. Uh, so um, if you're in the Chiba area uh, and you. Um, near Sudanama Station, uh, please come down to T's Lounge. Uh, I have Monday late, late night indies uh, where I play music from 10 to past midnight from all independent bands, starting from Chiba, going out to Tokyo and the Kanto region, and then out uh, even globally. Um, uh, the last time we held it was last Monday, and people really seem to enjoy it. So come on down if you uh, this Monday. All right, and check out my blog, MatthewPMBigelow.com. Coming at you from the center of Tokyo on the ever-promising skateboard tricks of no insight guaranteed, I leave you with no insight guaranteed. Stay safe. It's a good tuna, but I think I paid too much.